From St. Luke's Gospel, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. That's why you're here, right? Anyway, if you're visiting with us tonight, and I'm sure some of you are, um, welcome. My name is Father Chris Rodriguez, and I'm really glad to see you here tonight. Um, If you were here yesterday, and many of you were, um, you heard me say something which I'm actually surprised I got away with, but nobody complained so far, and that was this, that uh, Christmas is, let's be honest, right? Everybody loves Christmas. It's a wonderful holiday. It's a chance to get together with family and friends and exchange presents, and if you're prone to such things, drinking eggnog, which I never quite figured out, but in any event, um, Christmas is a good thing, right? Can I get an amen? amen? All right. But I also think for, a, for the Christian, I don't, mean to, I don't mean the sentimental stuff, I mean the real, the guts and core of the faith, Christmas can be incredibly dangerous, toxic. Now I've got your attention, don't I? What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, look, I love Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He had a shiny nose. I get it, right? And I will, and I will confess to you amongst friends tonight that My family does, in fact, have an Alexa sitting on our counter that plays Christmas music even during Advent. So I've I've drank the Kool-Aid too, I'll admit. I buy into this whole cultural, sentimental swamp. But, But the problem is, and this is what I want to dial in on today, the problem is that Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all these different things, they 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 blind us to the um, Man, the enormous claim, the, extru- the outrageous claim that Christmas makes. And if I don't impart anything to you tonight except for this one thing, it's this. That take it, or, whether you believe it or not, and I hope you do, because I do and I didn't always, that Christmas makes the most profound claim in all of human history that, that God, God the creator of the universe, the uncaused cause a la Thomas Aquinas, that which beyond no greater thing can be conceived, that that God became a person, fully God and fully human, fully man in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Man, if you know anything about first century Greek philosophy, that's a complete scandal. Paul says this in Scripture. But I'll submit to you tonight something that, man, just, this should really pause you to cause you to stop and think. If that claim is true, if what we cl- are celebrating tonight really happened, then that is the most, it's the most important thing in all of human history. If the claims of Christmas are true, that God, God became a man to rescue you and rescue me, man, guys, that for me anyway, that changes everything, and it kind of has to. So tonight, I'm gonna, we're going to walk through some things here, and we're not going to talk about little bitty baby in a manger. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to talk, talk about the shepherds in the field at night. I'm not going to do any of that schmaltzy stuff. I mean, it's true, but it's overplayed. I'm going to talk to you instead about something that what the, the, the details of the story tell us, two really critical things. First, who... I might even say, what is Jesus, point one. And secondly, what is his mission? What's he here to do? 
Why did he come to earth in the first place? So who and what is Jesus? That's my first point. I always preach in points, by the way, because it keeps my mind straight. Who is, what is, who is Jesus? And then secondly, what is his mission? Why is he here? So who is, who is he? Who is Jesus of Nazareth? Well, it's actually, I'm not, I'm not sending that to you as a trick question. I'm actually trying to, I'm going to unpack something here, which is actually staring you right in the f- face, but if you don't know first century Judaism, you'd miss it, and it's this. I want you to picture something. Imagine for a minute that you are, in fact, one of those shepherds in the field at night outside the town of Bethlehem. It's miserable there. <laughs> it's cold. It's rainy. Shepherding is smelly, nasty, dirty business. Nobody ever grows up wanting to be a shepherd. They don't. All, and in fact, all the important people, the people that can afford to, aren't out in the field at night petting the sheep. They're back in Bethlehem, snug as a bug in a rug in their bed, you know, binging on Netflix or whatever they're doing. Drinking eggnog. But this is the scene, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, and, and I want to show you something really cool here. Out of nowhere, these, this group of angels appears, and, and, you know, again, angels are things which think, we think, oh, how cute, but the first thing the angels say is, don't be afraid, which means it's terrifying, whatever they saw. And they say something really profound. I'm going to read it to you. You've heard it a hundred times, but I'm going to explain to you what it means. The angels say to them, fear not. Shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. I'm just going to leave it there, the Lord. But I'm going to leave it there, Christ. Now listen, if you're a first century shepherd outside Bethlehem, you're Jewish, right? And these shepherds were Jewish. And to hear unto you is born the Christ in Bethlehem tonight would have been an absolutely staggering claim. Because Bethlehem, if you know your Jewish history, is the city where David, the famous king of the Jews, so one of them, it's where he was made king. And of course, the prophecies all believed that the new, the Messiah, the final king, would come from the city of David, would be born there. And so, when these angels say, we bring you good news of great joy, today is born to you the Christ, what they're saying is that what you're about to see is what's happened is the birth of a king. Now, let's stop there a second, because um, what is a king? I mean, one of my favorite Christmas hymn uh, carols is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You know that one, right? And when I was a kid, I thought Herald was one of the angels' names. I didn't know, right? <laughs> but a herald is actually, what is a, a herald? Just in history, a herald is somebody who would go out in front of the king and his army, and they would blow a trumpet. That's why we have brass players here tonight with us. They would blow a trumpet, heralding, announcing the arrival of the king and his entourage as they come into the town to conquer it and save the people that live there. You hear me? When these herald angels appear, it's not just cute little, you know, animal, angels floating around in the sky. This is actually describing an, an invasion, if you will, in one sense, that the king is coming. He's arrived. And the king, listen, is going to fix the problem. You know, as Americans, we have a hard time. We have a hard time with kings, right? 
ain't no kings in America, right? We have a hard time with the idea of a king because our whole country was, was formed in rebellion against the king of England. But biblically speaking and contextually speaking, the king was actually a good thing. It's hard for us to imagine this, but I want you to stay with me for a minute because the king was actually your advocate. The king was the person with whom your entire identity was wrapped up in, kind of like me in Penn State, right? I'm a Penn State fan. You know that? It's part of my identity as a, as a person. Well, that's nothing compared to what the king would represent to you as a Jew. And the king, the king, listen, the king was the person whom you could rely upon and count on and be assured of your welfare. When the king arrived, when the king arrives, you know everything is going to be okay. Let me ask you a question. I do this sometimes, so you, know, you can blurt out if you want to, but nobody ever does. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, though. Where, where in your life do you, need, do you need assurance? And I don't mean cheap words. I mean assurance, confidence, courage. Where do you, in your life, do you need to have the assurance that everything is, in fact, going to be okay? You know, the reality is, if you believe everything is going to be okay, someone has to make it okay. I've never understood people, and lots of people, lots of people say this because they just don't think. People say, oh, you know, it'll all just work out. That's nonsense. Things don't just work out. Things by nature don't just work out any more than your, any more than your Christmas shopping just got done, right? Or the sermon just got written or the kids just get bathed. For things to work out, for you to have the assurance that things will work out, you've got to know that somebody is both able and willing to do it. You with me? That's what assurance means. It's not pie in the sky. It's not wishful thinking. It's complete confidence that you can stand strong. See, the thing is, the point in life is that things don't just work out unless someone works them out. I'm going to be blunt. <laughs> the universe doesn't care a bit about you. The stars don't care about you. Nature doesn't care about you. Nature, in fact, if you know anything about biology or animals and things, nature is cold. It's hard. It is relentless. It is survival of the fittest. Dog eat dog. Real assurance, friends, that things will work out and the confidence to stand in that assurance must be granted by a God who has the will and the power to do it. Life is hard, man. Not always, but look, you know. The Bible, the Bible lays out a completely consistent and coherent worldview, which I would argue explains everything. And one of the things it says is that we live in a fallen world. Maybe you, well, you do, because we all do. Maybe you've got problems with your family or friends, right? Maybe uh, you or someone you love is wrestling with a mental illness or drug addiction or an alcohol use problem or maybe it's a financial stress. Anybody here own stock? Guess what? That's a little stressful <laughs> these days. 
maybe, you know, maybe it's not even like that. Maybe it's just you're just plain lonely, right? This time of the year can be, can be isolating for people. Everyone else is having fun, right? And here I am by myself. So the question really is, where is your assurance? How do you know everything's going to be okay? Because the reality is, without God, you don't. See, here's the thing. Christmas is not about cute little baby Jesus away in a manger. Because the fact is, the boy grew up, right? He became a man. And really, Christmas, what I want to challenge you tonight to think about, Christmas is an opportunity for you to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, not as a little baby, but as the king, as your king, as the fixer, as the problem solver, as the man who gets things done, as the man who quite literally saves the world, saves you if you choose to accept it. The king who leaves his throne in heaven and comes to earth, a king, a God who assumes human flesh to reconcile us to God, to assure us, to assure you that everything is going to be okay. So who is Jesus? He's a king. And secondly, what's he here to do? Well, the king, his, his job, his mission is to save you and me. In the Old Testament, in Jewish thought, the king is not just a, a military or political leader. He is that, but not only. In the first century, the king actually represented the people. One man represented the entire nation. Jesus' mission as the king, like all the kings that went before him, was to represent and to save the people under his care. Jesus' mission as the king starts in a manger with the announcement of the herald angels, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And then his mission ends outside a city again, but a different city, this time Jerusalem, outside the city walls on a hill called Golgotha, nailed to a cross with the title above his head, which says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. As he's lifted up on that cross, the charge, you can see it right there. Jesus Nazareum Rexus Eudeum, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. As he is lifted up and the charge is placed over his head, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. So here's my question for you. Is Jesus, is Jesus your king? And that might sound like a stupid question, or at least a rhetorical one, but it isn't. Because that question, is Jesus your king? Your king is the most important question you will ever answer. Maybe the bigger question is, who or what is your king? Everybody has one. You do. And what I mean by that is everybody has something or someone, or maybe it's even yourself, that you rely upon. Everybody has something that they lean on for the assurance that things are going to be okay. And these kings, these false kings, if you will, come in all different forms, and they're good things, but they're not ultimate things. Career, children, your spouse, your wealth, your hopes for the future, your plans. What do you lean on to save you? What is your king? Because, see, whatever king you choose, unless the king you choose is Jesus, every king you choose will fail you. It can't not fail you. Someday you will retire. 
Someday your kids or your spouse will let you down. Someday you will let your kids or your spouse down. My grandfather Rodriguez used to say, you can't take it with you, and he didn't. These things cannot, friends, these kings, these false kings cannot not fail you. They're just things. They're just people. Only the true king, Jesus, will never fail you because he is God. Only God is always there. Only God is always present. Only God knows you better than you know yourself. Only God, Scripture says that, <laughs> scripture says that God knows even the number of hairs on your head, which for some of you might not be terribly comforting, but... <laughs> The point I want you to see, man, this is so profound, is that what Christmas tells us is that God came to earth for you. That Jesus Christ is the king, and he alone can save you. And so the question comes back, full circle, is he your king? You know, I said before, a minute ago, that the answer to that question is the most important question you will ever answer in your life. The most important decision you will ever make, if you don't know me, some of you, but I, grew, I didn't grow up in the church. I certainly didn't grow up very religious. I thought a lot of this was just, was just baloney, frankly. But I came to realize that without God, really nothing else makes any sense. And it wasn't an original idea with me, believe me. <laughs> and my job, my job, like any preacher worth his salt, is to challenge you to think, to consider is my life really where I want it to be? You know, so many times we fall askew. We don't do it on purpose, but we just let things go. Is my life really where I want it to be? Did you notice that when we came in a minute ago, the first hymn we sang, which you've probably sang 20 times in your life? I'm going to read just a snippet. I'm not going to sing it because my voice is shot, but I'm going to read something to you. The first, oh, come all ye faithful. That's you. Joyful and triumphant, yeah, come and behold him, born the king of angels. You know, what if that joy and that triumph was not just fairy tale hymn stuff, but what if it was actually real? Because I'll tell you what, people that wrote that hymn, for them it was real. For me, it's real. Don't let this year pass you by as another year of cheap, sentimental, wishful thinking. Friends, life is too short. And if you want the joy and the peace that God can assure you of, you've got to have him at your center. He's got to be your king. There's no other way. Here's the deal, right? God has shown his hand. He makes the outrageous claim that he is God who's become a man. You've got to do your investigation. The question is too big to not, to not address. The ball, frankly, is in your court. Will you claim him as your king? Will you accept the life he offers you of joy and peace? Not slogans that we dig out once a year or signs we see over the streets, but the assurance, the courage, the unshakable conviction that everything is in fact going to be okay because Jesus the King has come back to get you. And if you're ready for that, and I hope you are, it's what you're looking for. It's what I was looking for until I found it. If you're ready for real life, man, then I'll see you here next week. Shall we pray?
Father, we thank you for Jesus who took on human flesh to save us from our sins and to reconcile us to you. Lord, help us to be careful and cautious in who we place first in our lives. Help us to make Jesus our King. In his name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.